It's Wednesday, June 9th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Kentwell, and Aaron Bewley. Tyler and Russ are out today. With me on the show, Darren Zook and Tim Davis. We're going to talk about some WWDC stuff, some uh, shenanigans there, and both of them, I think, are proclaimed Apple fanboys. Would you guys call yourselves that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So we booted the two Android guys off the show. We brought on some... Apple fanboys, and we're going to get into some WWDC. Before we do that, let's look at today's yesterday in tech history. The first one we have here is titled One Processor to Rule Them All on June 8th, yesterday, 1978. Intel introduces the 16 bit 8086 processor with clock speeds of 10, 8, and 5 megahertz. Woo! <laughs> Woo! Blazing, blazing fast. fast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it would become the basis for the series of processors used in IBM compatible PCs, IBM compatible in quotes there, and the x86 family later marketed under the name Pentium, which you all might un- uh, recognize, not understand, but recognize, uh, would dominate the market in the PC era. And then it goes on to say, ironically, however, it was the modified 8-bit 8088 processor that was used in the original IBM PC, primarily due to factors that would reduce overall cost which isn't that what the decisions are always about typically? <laughs> Generally, yeah. Hey, yep, yep, yep. Okay, cool. And then, uh, Tim, I think before we started the show, you said you saw something happen yesterday that is a truly like yesterday in tech history. Yes, yesterday <laughs> in tech history, Terraform finally got a major version number. They are at 1.0. So congratulations to all of our HashiCorp friends. Boom. Announcing HashiCorp Terraform 1.0 general availability yesterday awesome very cool good for them good for them okay anything else did anything cool happen with either of y'all yesterday no (laughs) no not recently (laughs) okay all right okay well we can just get on to uh the wwc stuff and then we can kind of drift in some other tech news uh as we see fit but um i guess educate me guys because i didn't watch anything on that i was so consumed with other work stuff i've not i've not looked at anything which is unusual for me. I have no idea what they announced. Well, I would say, I mean, it was largely iterative. I think they brought some new functionality as they always do. But a lot of it, I would also say, you know, uh, there was an MKBHD video that dropped, uh, I think sometime yesterday. And he yeah, made the, this mention too. Yeah, of yeah, course. He's awesome. Uh, yeah, good mutual friend of the show, obviously. Um, <laughs> That's right, good mutual friend of the show. <laughs> but uh, no, he dropped a video, you know, and kind of brought up an interesting point. You know, it's it's new to the platform functionality, not necessarily you know brand new you know functionality overall. You know, when you compare it to the overall mobile ecosystem, you know, maybe mm-hmm. not new necessarily to OSs in general, but new to Apple. And I think the big thing and the big differentiator is the better integration across their entire you know group of platforms and products. Yes. It, they, they are getting closer and closer and closer to a seamless platform across all of their devices, which in the end is what we really want. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we can kind of start off if you want with iOS and then kind of work our way down. Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do that. But I want to understand when you say they're getting closer and closer to a seamless experience, what do you mean by that? What what do you feel like is not seamless already? And maybe, sorry if that's like a super obvious question, but what do you mean by that? Oh, yeah. Like for me personally, you know, 
applications, um, you have your iOS apps, you have your Mac OS apps. Now, some of them play nicely together. Uh, one of the biggest things that happened earlier this year was the iPad was launched with the M1 chip. The iPad now has the exact same chip spec as the MacBook Pro. So that just leads you to believe, hey, maybe I can run some kind of hybrid Mac OS, iOS thing. Maybe I can run my full Pro apps on here. Um, it, it's just getting nicer and nicer. Now, of course, with something we'll talk about a little bit later, now you can just control both of them from the same platform, which is fantastic. But there, there's still the delineation between the mobile device and you know the, the full computer device that they're slowly starting to you know blur the lines on. Gotcha. Yeah, I, okay. I think it's really it's really about bridging that gap more than anything else. It's like, you know, I think we've established at this point that both types of devices have their purpose. Now it's a matter of, you know, how do we make them work more in harmony? And I think that's something that Apple's done a really good job of kind of bringing together. And you see that, you know, it's there's evidence of that yeah. in in these updates. For sure. Cool. Okay. So yeah, let's let's uh, run down the list then that you were I, I, yeah, right. since, since we are starting off with uh, with iOS, uh, that is one nice little asterisk to point out is that we don't have any hardware announcements. Uh, that was kind of a big deal. There was a lot of people okay. really, uh, really mad that there was no new MacBooks or anything like that. But uh, this was a hardware free WWDC. So we get to start off straight off with software. Yep. Was there was there an expected hardware? Like, was there a gap where people felt there, like well, there should have been a hardware announcement? So the biggest thing is is updates to the higher end of their computing side of things. So you know when you right. look at their Macs, the big thing is obviously they introduced the M1 last fall um, and put that in the Mac Mini, the MacBook Air, and the low end MacBook Pro. And then with the iMac this spring, they they introduced the M1 as part of that, and you know did a whole new redesigned enclosure. The expectation is that they will do the same thing for the higher end MacBook Pros. Um, as well as ultimately, eventually, you know, the the Mac Pro and hopefully a higher end Mac Mini as well. Um, but you know, with with increased specs beyond, I think right now the the M1 kind of tops out at 16 gigs of RAM. Yep. Um, can't can't address more than I think one Thunderbolt controller. So the ability to have you know more expandability on the Thunderbolt side of things, as well as obviously more RAM. Any any Pro application is going to need a lot more RAM than 16 gigs. So exactly um, right. Yeah. And yeah, there's, so, there's a fun fact that I have about that iMac, by the way, since you just kind of glazed over that. I saw a picture going around Twitter. The iMac, the brand new one, is 0.1 millimeters thinner than the original iPhone. <laughs> what? Wow. So wait, say that again? It's, it's 0.1 millimeter. The new iMac that basically looks like an iPad Pro on a stand. Um, the 2G iPhone, the big silver clunky thing. Um yeah. I want. I can't remember the exact numbers. I think it was 11.6 millimeters or something like that for the new iMac and 11.7 for the old iPhone. So That's it's now hilarious. thinner and it's bananas. exponentially more powerful. Oh yeah, no doubt. That's crazy, all right. Though. So iOS and, and honestly, some of these are kind of platform wide. I don't know if any of these are necessarily, well, the only one, there is one that is specific to iOS that I can see in this list, but um, you know, we'll just kind of start rolling down through them. So the first thing that that I kind of noted that is is uh, new to the Apple platform as a whole is is this new functionality they're calling SharePlay. Um, and SharePlay is, cool. is yeah, this is cool. This is really interesting. So essentially, um, you know, think about um, the ability to watch Netflix with a bunch of friends. 
um, and the fact that you can, you know, kind of simultaneously, you know, coordinate a watching event. Well, with SharePlay, the whole idea behind that is, is they take it a step further and do it all while you're all together on FaceTime and they do it while also implementing frame sync. So say you're watching an episode of Ted Lasso, you have the ability to essentially frame sync with everybody else that you're watching mm-hmm. uh, with over FaceTime. Um, and one person controls it and you're all watching the same things together, reacting together in real time. Um, and they're extending this functionality to obviously not just watching video, but to other applications. So they opened up APIs to allow, you know, um, sharing your screen further with, uh, you know, certain applications, maybe obviously Netflix and HBO Max, I think actually was one of the partners that they listed that will support it early on, as well as Disney+. Mm-hmm. Plus. Um, I think uh, hopefully Netflix will come down the road uh, as well as some others, but really kind of a unique function from the standpoint of, hey, we can watch it in real time together. We're all on video together. We can all see each other's reactions. Um, and so kind of something cool for, you know, the, uh, the COVID era um, that's now coming to an end, but uh, yeah. certainly something that'll help families and friends connect over distances. That's really cool. What do you think of the performance of that? I mean, frame, uh, frame sync with videos of, you know, seven or eight different people also. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to, I think, kind of see. So, I mean, the one thing that, that is unique about it is the fact that they're kind of showing, uh, or uh, I read a little bit into the back end of it and essentially they're still pulling down the stream from, you know, centralized server somewhere. It's not like one person is sharing out that stream. So you're not having to worry about the traditional limits, you know, that we currently have with most of these, you know, screen sharing platforms where it's one person sharing it out from their machine, which is contributing even more bandwidth and causing a lot more of that. So hopefully it'll be, you know, reasonably good performance, but I mean, obviously the best test is going to be when we all get our hands on it. Yeah, Yeah. And this is Apple after all. I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, sometimes things go out that, don't necessarily stack up, but sometimes who knows, maybe they could have released this six to 12 months ago, but they wanted to make sure they did it right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It, you know, there's no way to know until we, uh, you know, get in there and try to break it. I just yeah. remember the handful of times that I've tried FaceTime with a party of, you know, seven or I don't know, five to eight, something like that. And it can get a little crazy it can get a little crazy. And I'm trying to imagine, <clears throat> excuse me, adding a, a movie on top of that, whether or yeah. not it's coming from a, yeah. uh, you know, some sort of hosted service that's that's near me on some you know tower or something but well and they're trying yeah. to address they're trying to address some of that too so they introduced spatial audio um for and spatial audio in general seems to be a big recurring theme for apple here over uh the course of of this year um as as well as as part of their uh apple music platform um but they introduced spatial audio for facetime as well and the whole idea is this is really cool kind of cut down yeah to cut down on the background noise to focus in on the people that are speaking, um, you know, and it's things obviously that they're doing with just, you know, um, creating more directionality with their microphones, um, you know, and doing all of that in software, capturing kind of the intelligence of who is the speaker in the room and trying to cut through all the background noise in with software. So it's actually really, really cool with that perspective. Yeah. Like the, the way that you can kind of visualize that is if you look on your phone and you've got, you know, four different faces that are floating there that you're talking to, the way that they've engineered the spatial audio is that when somebody talks, the speakers are going to virtually position it where it actually looks like that little square is talking so that you have a better idea of who's talking based on where the audio mm-hmm. is coming from. Yeah. So how do they do this? Because I noticed it on my um, 
magic my, uh, AirPod, smoke and mirrors. My, yeah, my AirPod <laughs> Pros or something, right? You'd be watching like YouTube TV or something. And, you know, my daughter will walk in the room in my office and I'll turn my head to the right. And I realize I can only hear it out of my left ear or it becomes more dominant in my left ear because that's where yeah. the, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I found that how, on how, accident. <laughs> it's the weirdest how does, thing. How do my headphones know that my head has turned? Like, how do they understand the distance oh, dude, of sensors. my right ear from the, that's crazy. It, it, ta- it takes a baseline and then they've got accelerometers inside of there. So when you turn your head, it knows, oh, I'm going this way. And it's, it's I mean, it's the weirdest thing. That makes so more sense. There's accelerometers. And a whole any bunch sort of, of computing like, power. Yeah. They're doing that all real time. That's the, crazy. The thing that was really crazy was they they recorded the entire keynote in spatial audio. So what's really wild about I had that no idea. is the this fact is so that, rad. So I, I grabbed my iPad the other night and I'm I'm rewatching the keynote because I was busy during the day, and I'm I'm taking my iPad and I've got it held out in front of me, and then I lift it up over my head and it sounds like all the audio moved over my head. I move it to my <laughs> side and it does the same thing, and That's I'm like, crazy. this is wild. It's bonkers. Um, but I mean, really kind of a unique way to make the experience more immersive. And, and we can talk more about it later, but you know, um, they, they're doing the same thing with Apple Music by introducing spatial audio with Dolby Atmos on Apple Music. And you know, it's kind of the same thing. It completely changes the way that you listen to, you know, to music because it gives it a lot more depth. Um, you know, and and you can kind of pick out the individual tracks, different tracks, you know, from that recording are coming at you from different areas around your head from how you're listening. And it's just, it's wild. It really makes the 3d surround so much more realistic. I mean, it is unreal. It's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. All right. What else? Um, so on the FaceTime note, the other thing, yeah. On the FaceTime note, the other thing that was kind of interesting was they introduced this, this concept of FaceTime links. Um, so kind of competing along the lines, I would say with like zoom, uh, Google meet WebEx yeah. teams, um, I, I think what's what's really unique here is the fact that um, it now kind of extends the ability to leverage FaceTime with people that don't have an iOS device or a Mac. Um, so you know, a an Android user or a you know Windows user can click the link and it pulls up FaceTime in a browser um, and ah, gives them the okay. ability now to join a FaceTime call that way as well. Because I so lied kinda, I, when I said nice. I didn't see Obviously, anything. We've got. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I, that was the one thing that just clicked in my head that I realized I did see is that the the headline was FaceTime. Uh, yeah, FaceTime comes to Android, but not iMessage. Right. Because it's right. just right. a it's a FaceTime link. If you're on Android, it just launches you into a browser, and then you can participate. Yeah, makes sense. Yep. All right. Cool. Yeah, uh, that, they they re- they announced a couple of things that were you know really, really huge. Like they just kind of glossed over the whole, Hey, we hate zoom and we're going to take them on with FaceTime right now. And there was, you know, another one with Xcode cloud that they just happened to drop in right at the end that you're like, I'm sorry, did they just announce source code repository and then CICD functionality into Xcode and just kind of slip that in under the radar real quick at the end? Like uh, there was a few things that at, at, in hindsight, when you're looking at it, you're like, they just made it seem like those were tiny things, but these are like we're going after the big boys type features. So they're going after <laughs> Microsoft's GitHub, right? Do do yeah, they really I mean, hate Zoom, or is it? I, I just mean, think just I just think they go. Why would we go? let somebody else do it when we can do it? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Okay, makes sense. It's just yeah, bring, I, mean, I mean, that's why do we use Intel when we can make our own chips now? I mean, that's sure. the Apple way. Yeah, no, that's a great point. 
Um, okay. So I have one that's kind of an interesting, because uh, I'm curious to hear both of your thoughts. So one of the things they introduced as part of iOS, so iOS has always had this concept of a wallet. And if you use Apple Pay, it's really, really convenient because you know you can just double click the side of the phone, hold it up yeah. next to the reader, and you know, you're know you paying. It's secure. It's got the secure on-device enclave and all that other things. But one of the things they introduced this year is the idea of ID cards because honestly that's the last physical card that you really need to have this is you know and carry with you at all times. So it's a really cool addition, you know, and and they've got um, different states that are obviously signing on. Um, they're working with the TSA to get the TSA to adopt support of it, support for it. So again, you double click the side of your phone, you pull up your ID card, and you you know wave that over a reader at the TSA checkpoint, and that passes through all of your information securely, um, so that you know obviously they can verify your identity and otherwise. But you know. I guess when I kind of, I sat there and I'm like, this is awesome. And then I sat back and thought about it and I'm like, what are the privacy implications for this? You know, you think about it from a standpoint of say it's a traffic stop, you know, are you going to hand your phone to a police officer to, you know, to do that for you? How does, how does the reader maybe? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you, the technology itself versus the actual real world implementation of that technology. Uh, you never know how it's going to go. And there's a lot of different factors here. Like I would never hand my phone over to an officer so that they could take it back to their car and scan their thing. No, you bring right. the little reader to me and I will put my phone on it or I'll use my watch and I'll put my watch on it so you can get my ID. Um, it just depends on how they do that. Um, overall, I'm super on board with this because the if I don't have to pull out my you know, physical driver's license in the TSA line. I already have my phone out anyway, because that's what I'm using for my airline tickets. So if I can have that ticket and my ID saved right there in the wallet, and all I have to do is say, here's this, scan that, here's that, scan that. Dude, I'm 100% on board for this. I think it's great. And because of the fact that they're using the security chip technology, everything's encrypted on the phone. So you can't really like just get in there and grab it. Um, I think they're doing the best they can. Um, they also happen to mention that the first iteration of the start your car with your phone is going to be coming out on some cars in the fall of this year. So they really are trying to get every single possible peripheral key that you might need and put it into that phone. I love it. Um, yeah, my take on it, I'm for it just high level, right? I've got a few issues. Uh, yeah, for sure. Up one of them, but I'm for it high level, just from the sake of not having to carry a physical wallet. One of my favorite um, phone cases that I ever had was, and I I currently use the quad lock. I use it for a number of different reasons, just from a docking perspective inside my vehicle or on the stem of my bike or, you know, whatever, Um, or on this little platform, this tripod thing that I can use for zoom calls and whatnot. So currently all in on quad lock, but for a while I had a Basically, there was just like a little slot on the back of my phone where I would put my driver's license, my credit card, and like 40 bucks, right? That's such a bad way of doing that. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I know. But this is, this. I was, I was all in on hyperconverge. I mean, I still am, but it, yeah, it became sure. a talking point, right? <laughs> Whenever I'm sitting there with a customer and I'm talking about converging server and storage onto a single platform, I'm converging my wallet into my phone. Why do I need, you know, two different devices, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Anyway. Um, if I can move my ID here as well, then fantastic. Cause really, and truly that's the only reason I carry my wallet is so I have my driver's license at this point, but I'm curious when you, when you get to identification and stuff like that, from a software perspective, how much of that can be 
can be faked, right? How much of that? Yeah. Because you know, we with those physical cards now, obviously you can argue that those are going to be faked or can be faked as well, but they have all these yeah. kinds of fraud features like holograms and you hold it up and you know, you can see like you see through the card and you see like the little state of Texas or you see a hologram of yourself in the corner or whatever it is. Um, unless you're in Oklahoma, I think they still just kind of laminate a piece of paper. <laughs> okay. So, so what's more, what's more That's secure in joke. your head? Cool types of holograms and printing yeah. and stuff like that. Or something where you scan into your phone and then that gets actually truly validated against some kind of government database that has a little check mark that says this is correct. Which one of those is more secure? Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying there, but imagine you, you have to think about like what if what if when I go and check in with the the TSA and I'm just mm -hmm. showing them an image of somebody else's card, right? What if I'm so taking, this, what if somebody yeah, else is no, taking a screenshot? Image. Yeah, it's not, it's not just the image. So the whole, the whole concept behind this, and, and they gave a couple of, of kind of screenshots or, you know, kind of right. what it was. This is like barcodes like, or think QR of, codes. Or no, no. It's so like think when of you it, save think your of credit it just card like when you do your phone. credit card. Yep. So think about oh. it like just when you do your credit card into the phone where it just shows the last you. four numbers. It's kind so of there's the same some sort thing. of near shows, field communication that's happening exactly, where the phone is yeah. saying, "Hey, this is a verified right. identification." Right. Okay, never so, mind. Yeah, so no, for, like, my for the TSA, for the TSA, for you know, a police officer or something like that, they're going to have to have an NFC you will have to. that's going to support this. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because it's going to take that. every bit of information on that card is going to be stored in the phone and encrypted in that chip, and yeah. when you you know boop that on their reader, it's going to digitally pass. All of that information. I mean, that it wouldn't be yeah. such a big deal if it was just a picture because you can literally save a picture of your driver's license in your phone today. Right. Some states will accept that, like Texas. I mean, in Texas, yeah, yeah. all you have to do is literally, you know, rattle off your driver's license number. And if it matches, you're good. Yeah. Um, but a picture is one thing, but this is literally digitizing the card, saving it onto the phone so that you can NFC send that to a reader for validation. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that reduces my security concern, or I guess fraud concern, then my head starts to go with, well, if we can just have this digital thing, this little digital bit of information, what if we start adding, what if, what if we also want to know this bit about this person? What if we also want to know this bit about this person? And you can start force adding all these things that wouldn't really make sense if you're talking about you know, tens of millions of citizens within a state right. and the state says, now I want to, now I want to say, oh, let's have a check uh, Mark for whether or not you've been vaccinated for COVID. Let's and have they, a check they addressed yeah. this too, also a little bit um, when they were talking about their TSA implementation, they said, and look, and when you go to send this information, it's going to pop up a little box and it's going to show you the exact pieces of information that you are going to send. And you have uh, the ability to approve or deny the transaction, so to okay. speak, based on what information is being sent. Well, you guys have a rebuttal for everything then, huh? All my concerns. <laughs> you're just like, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the deal. Okay, fine. I, I guess I'm, I'm good a, for I'm it. a big fan of this one. I think it's going to yeah. be great. I think there's a lot of tinfoil hat folks that are absolutely going to lose their minds. But I mean, these are the same people agree, that are yeah. using the phone and doing stuff that is compromising their privacy anyways. They just don't see it that way. <laughs> right. Well, and I would also argue too, I mean, obviously there were other electronic payment methods available prior to Apple Pay and, and other oh, things, for sure. you know, really kind of hitting the mainstream. But that was really, I think, what popularized it. You know, when, well, when Apple and Google both said, hey, we're going to start supporting this, that's ultimately what made it mainstream. And I think we're going to end up seeing the yeah. same thing happen with ID cards and obviously other things, you know, longer term. Yeah. And realize too, for people that 
maybe don't know that whenever you go, if you're using Apple Pay that's connected to some sort of card, credit card, debit card, whatever, at a pay station, it's not actually transmitting the credit card data. Nope. It's transmitting a an encrypted code that is then token. connected to that down the yeah, it's a token essentially. Yep. 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 So yeah. All right. What else we anyway. want to cover on the iOS side here, Tim? Um, I am looking, uh, do we want to all that, all that do, to say, do sorry, we consider health. Oh, go ahead. All, all that to say that it is actually more secure, right? So it is more secure to use your Apple wallet than it is to swipe yes. your credit card. Right. So yeah. do we want to do, do we want to do live text? I think live text is probably one of the coolest things ever, even though it's old tech. I think the yeah. new is new style implementation is fantastic. Do you want to all go right. That so, yeah, let's do that. So you want to you want to kind of give an overview? Yeah. So live text, everybody has heard of or understands the concept for the most part of OCR, you know, optical character recognition, basically taking a picture of a document and digitizing that into text. Well, Apple has just built that into iOS. So you can now take a picture of something like, say, they used a, an ice cream shop's billboard. They then took and highlighted the phone number and it immediately digitized it and turned it into a link they could click to say, hey, I'm going to call this ice cream shop now. They have it where you could take a picture of a whiteboard, copy and paste all that text and throw that bad boy into notes. So they are in real time letting you digitize and bring in text from pictures into your notes. Now, the extra special kicker to that is all of your images are now searchable with Spotlight. So when you do a Spotlight search what? and you're searching for a certain piece of information, like a file or an email or something on your phone, the, the text that is in your images will now show up as part of that Spotlight search. Yeah. This just killed... Have you all seen stuff like uh, Rocketbook? Yeah. Something oh, like yeah. that? Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, where you... <laughs> you basically take notes and then you snap a picture of it. And there's an application that just digitizes yep. all your notes. That's what this is. Now you can do your whole whiteboard thing and you can copy and paste the text straight into notes. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, o OCR is not I'm new, concerned. but this is such a rad feature. And I think the biggest kicker to that is that you, if you're now searching for a piece of information that's stuck in the back of your head and you know, you saw it somewhere, you're, photos are now part of that search. Yeah. And that's I mean, so cool. I think the other thing too, you know, a lot of the Android folks are probably going, Hey, I've had this functionality for years, you know, with Google right. lens and otherwise. Um, Cause one of the other things they announced as part of it, that kind of goes along the lines of what Google lens does is say you take a picture of a dog and you want to know what kind of breed that dog is. Well, it will automatically look up and, and locate what that breed is, compare it to other images. Yeah. To like 10 eye search and it. then show you that. Yeah. Show it to you in real time. And obviously, Google Lens has had you know this capability you know for a long time. I think what makes this really unique though is the fact that this is not just an iOS feature. This is platform wide. This is across Mac right. OS. This is across iOS, iPad OS, um, and so all of these things are are indexed within. I think it's within your iCloud account, or it might mm -hmm. even be device local, depending upon what they're doing. So that you know, if you had it pulled up on your iPhone and you had done you know say a live text look at a at a whiteboard or something like that. You can copy and paste the text that's in that from your iPhone to your Mac with no additional steps. You're just copying it on the phone and pasting it on the iMac or, or you know, on, on a Mac, I should say. So really kind of unique functionality there that only they can do because they have that entire ecosystem, you know, themselves right. that they've built from the ground up. 
Um, all right. So are we good with iOS? Because there's there's one I here so. I want to hit on. I think it's interesting. Yeah, for um, sure. All right. So iCloud Plus. All right. So uh, first and foremost, iCloud Plus is not an add-on subscription or anything like that. For any mm-hmm. paid iCloud subscription today, you automatically are getting an upgrade to iCloud Plus this fall. And as part of that, you get essentially three new uh, pieces of functionality. One is HomeKit camera storage. So if if you leverage HomeKit, um, so like I have a Logitech Circle View doorbell. Um, so with that Logitech Circle View doorbell, I can store up to unlimited amounts of data now where previously I think you, it was like a set period of time. I think it was like 10 days worth of, of video. Right. I can now keep that video up to an unlimited amount of time and I can have unlimited number of devices where previously I think it was limited to five. Um, so nice, nice add-on, no big deal. Um, but the next two I think are kind of interesting. So first, uh, they have a new functionality they're calling private relay. Um, so they're awesome. going, <laughs> this is so cool. So they're going after the VPN crowd here. So think express VPN and, you know, all the different, you know, third-party VPN platforms that are out there. And what they're doing is any traffic from Safari is encrypted and then bounced off two separate internet relays. So no one can use your IP location or browsing activity to build a profile about you. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> this is kind of crazy because it's not, it's like Tor obviously- for Safari. Yeah, it's it's not just your phone, it's not just your iPad, it's it's your Mac too. So everything across the board again in their entire platform, if you're leveraging a paid iCloud account, you're going to start using private relay out of the gate. There's there's nothing special or nothing that has to be turned on, no VPN service that has to be paid for separately. Um so again, marketing kind folks of, are going to hate this. Oh, well oh yeah. And they're killing <laughs> they're killing all these services like as part of it too. It's wild. Yeah, that's, I, crazy. that's that's a huge, huge deal with that. And like the, the private email and stuff like that, I they are making a massive privacy push with that. And they made sure to stress that if you're already paying, which right now, if you're paying for iCloud, you're paying for, you know, two terabytes of storage or whatever it happens to be. You don't have to do anything. They're going to automatically enable it. They're going to automatically give you the features. It's not going to be an upsell. It's not going to be anything. So if you're paying 99 cents a month for storage right now, you're going to pay 99 cents a month for that storage plus all of the other awesome features. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. And the other the other feature that's that's rolled out as part of that is this concept of private email, which Tim you you touched on briefly. But yeah, the the whole idea here is is how many times do you have to you know go and fill out a web form where you have to supply your email address, and you know it might be for a subscription service, it might be for hey I want to be notified about X Y and Z service that might be coming out or otherwise. Well, with private email now, what you're, what it enables you to do is create all of these iCloud e- aliases that look like real email addresses, but are ultimately tied back to your Apple ID. When you don't want to receive those emails anymore, you just go in and you deactivate that alias. And now you're no longer receiving those emails and you don't have to go through an unsubscribe process or anything like that. You just shut it off. Um, so I mean, nothing crazy, but you know, again, still kind of just a nice little add-on functionality that may not have been there yeah. before. And Gmail's had this kind of ability for a little while. You can like add operators and stuff to your email address that still route to you. Like if you want to have, you know, this specific thing that you assume is going to spam you, you can kind of tack that on that way, you know, they're the ones spamming you. Um, So it's just a fun little feature. Um, It is definitely a kick in the teeth for anybody who does marketing of any kind, who's trying to build, you know, persona information and things like that. Um, But it's just extra little privacy stuff that Apple's kicking in there for free, essentially, for anybody who's already paid, or if you want to pay 
they have very, very, you know, cost-effective plans to enable stuff like this. I think it always, it goes down to 99 cents a month or something like that. Um, so it, it's really, it's not a bad deal. And just to be clear, all these features that we've been talking about and going through, this is all iOS 15 stuff, correct? Correct. Yep. Yes. Right. Correct. Probably yep. super obvious there. I just want to, I don't know if you said that. But, <laughs> uh, so, um, all right. It. So let's, because uh, I know we're probably getting close to to our top of time here, but there's, there's two more things I want to highlight. Um, the first one, I think Tim and I are both really excited about, and I think was probably the most crazy demo I've ever seen in any type of, of keynote. Um, so what this is, is this is a new Mac OS functionality called universal control. And this is kind of the ultimate Apple ecosystem thing that only they can do. Um, so imagine you're sitting in front of a Mac and you know, you're going through um, you know, your daily routine, you're working on you know, something in um, a video or you know, an Excel doc or your Word doc or whatever. And you remember, hey, I've got something over on my iPad I want to go grab and, and pull into this. Well, now this is this blows my mind. So now what you do is you you just sit down your iPad unlocked next to your device, next to your your Mac, and you can mouse over to your iPad, grab that document all from your like from your Mac keyboard and mouse, drag and drop that document, drag and drop a photo or whatever it might be from your iPad into your Mac. And they're not only doing it, you know, from a standpoint of two devices, you can do it with three devices. So if you've got, say, two Macs and I've got, you know, one Mac where I'm working on a video or something like that, and I've got, hey, I realize that I need to uh, go over to my iPad and grab, uh, you know, a a lower third or something like that that I'm building. Uh, And this was the the use case they used. You can basically Mm -hmm. drag across another Mac and over into your iPad and then drag across essentially two devices to get to where you ultimately <laughs> it, want to It was the it. most mind-blowing demo ever. They had the MacBook sitting in the middle. Then he pulled his iPad you know, over to the side and was going back and forth with that. And then he takes the iMac that's sitting on the table and pulls it over to the left side of the MacBook. And it's just sitting there with the MacBook keyboard and mouse dragging stuff from the iPad straight across the MacBook over into the iMac. It was mind crazy. I, I mean, I remember Just back in the, the Windows 98 monitors. and XP days using virtual tools that allowed you to do like virtual KVM over LAN. That's exactly what this is. And it is, it looks flawless. Well, and what's what's wild too is again, you know, you're not setting anything up. You literally just set your iPad down next yeah. to your MacBook, or you set your MacBook down next to your iMac, and all of a sudden everything now is just connected like and there's there's no need for you to do any additional configuration um there's a really there's a really interesting article on the verge um and and we can we can tweet it out um but it kind of talks through how this ultimately works and and it's pretty wild because they're leveraging some of the continuity functionality that they had introduced um over low energy bluetooth uh 5.0 a couple of years ago and, and essentially, it's just a bunch of guesswork that happens. So essentially, when you move your mouse to the left-hand side of the screen, it's assuming that the iPad that's sitting down next to it is on the left-hand side of the screen, and it's just going to allow you to move your mouse into your iPad screen or vice versa You know, with, a, with another Mac. Um, so really bizarre, really just bizarre kind of crazy, awesome uh, feature that, you know, again, will be definitely useful in, in certain situations. Oh. A hundred percent. I mean, especially now that like I've got the new iPad, I've got the, uh, 
the new magic keyboard with the trackpad, which is the greatest innovation for an iPad ever that I think, but being able to go back and forth between like my Mac pro and my Mac or my, uh, my Mac mini, my Mac book and that the iPad, uh, I, it's so cool. And I'll be interested to see the people that are testing it out to where, where can I put my iPad compared to my device where it knows, you know, which direction it is and people trying to fool it. Like, can I put it on top? Can I put it to the side? Which one? Uh, It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Like specifically my, the setup that I'm sitting in front of right now, I've got my 34 inch curve monitor on the wall. And then over at the left corner of the desk is where I have my Mac mini. And if I have my iPad over here to the right, Sure, it's to the right of the device, but if I move it underneath the monitor, it's not going to know. It's still going to think it's to the right of the screen because that's where the Mac Mini is. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what kind of testing and playing around with can be done with that. Yeah, agreed. This is wild. Yeah, it just looks like, I mean, I'm sitting here watching. I'm going forward and backward. I'm just dragging the little, the the uh, the time bar here. And yeah, he's just got a mouse and he's just dragging it across like it's three different screens connected to one PC. Yeah. Yep. And it's so cool because there's different. Oh, we lose Tim. I think we might have lost Tim. Okay. We'll have to come back and. (laughs) Oh, hey, we lost you. You came back. You said it's so cool because. Oh, Lord. I don't know what happened. Okay. No. So it was awesome because, like with Procreate, that's going to be an iPad app. That's something you're going to use to draw and do what you need to do on there because the MacBook isn't going to allow you to have that kind of, you know, drawing functionality. Wait, they're calling an app Procreate? Well, that's no, that's not an Apple app. That's a third party app. And it is a phenomenal drawing okay. app on yeah. the iPad Pro. But like, so we went and did a little drawing. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like create pro, we're going to go with the word procreate. Procreate. Is, yeah. <laughs> all right. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> we'll have to take that up with the procreate folks. But <laughs> it, it's interesting because he, you know, he had his little drawing on there, which is the perfect use case for the iPad Pro. And then he was doing, you know, his presentation on, the MacBook, and he just went and pulled that over into that. So it allows you for showing, hey, this device is great for this. This device is great for this. You want both, great. Use both and use them seamlessly together. Uh, I think the the apps that they used to do the demo, the flow for that demo, um, I mean, it obviously had a huge impact because that was something that we both went, oh, I need that right now. And it's it's another one of those things of Apple doing what Apple does and making us want something by doing it correctly, as opposed to just trying to do it first. And also I want to put a little asterisk in here that I think no matter what happens in the future, they should absolutely continue to pre-record all of their keynotes because they have been so much better without live people in the room that yeah. make a bunch of noise and make 50% of the time of the keynote clapping yeah. So they should just the skip that production quality. The production quality overall is just, oh, there's nothing that yeah. compares to it. Like I'd say that for seen... all conferences. Yeah. All conferences. Well, the, yeah. the Memoji audience was really freaking cool as well. Yeah, when uh, Tim Cook funny. walked out onto the stage. Yeah. But oh, no, I, I mean, that. overall, overall, like I said, largely iterative, but they did bring some really cool new functionality, I think, to all their different platforms. Um, you know, watchOS got updates. Uh, certainly, iPadOS got a few updates that I think I argue would probably should have been there last year. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I mean, they had a lot of good, you know, iterative changes year over year that I think, you know, makes it makes it worthy. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, again, when we get our hands on them later this year, it's it's a good overall experience. 
health health got a lot of updates with the watch and things like that, like the mobility yeah. and things like that. So it it will actually use your watch and your phone to be able to tell you, oh, you may be a fall risk because your stride is uneven or because you kind of wobble from side to side because they have all of these different accelerometers on you. Um, and they also did health sharing, which is interesting. So if you have a an older parent or a grandparent or something who you'd like to, you know, how they need their independence, but keep you kind of want to keep an eye on them. You That's can set cool. up health sharing so that you can get all of, if they have, you know, elevated heart rate recently, if they have a fall, if they have this, you get all of that real time information so that you can make sure they're doing their thing and they're still good while they're off, you know, being by themselves and not having to be watched all day. Dude. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I can think of that for like having a sick kid, right? Or it, that's, that was the case as well. When I was going yeah. through chemo and my wife was never able to be with me because of a bunch of extenuating circumstances. She could have checked in on me. You know, how am I doing? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> am I still alive? Yeah. Like his heart's still beating. <laughs> they um, also, they also added a bunch of functionality too around, you know, how hard has lab work always been to read, you know? And, and I mean, Oh God, you yes. Know, you always have to have a doctor explain to you, you know, what does this cholesterol level mean? What's normal? What's not normal. And, you know, some apps have done a good job of kind of breaking that down. Well, now they're building all that into the health app as well. So if you go, get lab work and it loads into your your health app um, you now have the ability to go in there and actually read it for yourself and understand what is a normal value what's an abnormal value and you know kind and of chart it over you, time exactly and and also exactly. help you help you understand it better so that when you go meet with your doctor you can ask specific questions around hey as I understand this, this is what this means. You know, can you help me understand what that impact means to my lifestyle or otherwise? So it's a right. really wow. cool capability there to kind of help, you know, again, keep more information at your and, fingertips around these things. And Aaron, you mentioned something there. You mentioned trending. That's something that they specifically pointed out because, you know, with certain numbers, trending is more important sometimes than the actual number itself. So they're going to start pointing out, hey, with your resting heart rate, you've been trending lower this month versus, you know, last month, or you're going to be trending higher. Um, so that's also something that they're starting to build in to help you not only have record of what your numbers are, but yeah. start to understand how those numbers are positively or negatively affecting you. Yeah. That's awesome. Man, that is super cool. Um, can I ask you all about, and this is kind of going off this a little bit. I don't know. We can come back if you'll have more you want to go through, but I just want to make sure we touch on this. What is the general sentiment? So this is the developer conference. Mm -hmm. What is the general sentiment of the developers given all the things that have been going on in the news? <sighs> so many lawsuits, I can't even begin to, to list them all, but <laughs> One of the biggest concerns that we've always that we've been talking about on the show a lot is the thirty percent commission, yep. which I don't know if the developer if the developer group is just okay with that. Is there a general feel of like, hey, this is too much? Are people pushing back on that? Yeah. Um, I also understand there's a pretty rigorous app approval process. Um, there's oh, yeah. the stringent payment restrictions, not only just the thirty percent, but also how the app developer can get paid and the options there. Right. Uh, I think there's a there's a whole like basket of those things that I feel like are maybe affecting the sentiment of the developers. Do you have any insight it, into that? It largely depends on who the developer is, I think. Um, you know, obviously you've got some of the higher profile developers, you've got some of the larger corporations that are developing. Um, you know, you think about the Netflixes, the Spotify's and others of the world, you know, they're not they're not obviously happy about the idea of Apple having their own proprietary payment system and obviously taking a 30% cut off the top. 
Um, mm-hmm. Where you know, and, and again, there are other developers that share that same sentiment and that are obviously cheering for this Epic case to come out. You know, in favor of Epic to really kind of help, right. um, help help change that. Um, you know, the current state of things. The flip side of that, though, too, and I read an article, and I'm trying to think of who the developer was, um, but there are also a lot of developers who really kind of see it, you know, in a different light, where they see it from the standpoint of, you know, hey, if Apple takes less of a cut, yeah, obviously that's good for my business, but at the same time, you know, Apple has provided me an ecosystem that I wouldn't have otherwise, and you know, they've provided right. me the ability to get my entire application off the ground given me a an entire framework with all the tools and everything I need for $99 yep. a year. You know, you have to remember that the, the, the Apple developer membership is $99 yeah. a year. So that's the only pay to play that you get to get into the app store after exactly that. Right. Yeah. After that, you know, again, everything that you develop is on you to develop and, you know, you can release it for free and Apple gets nothing. And obviously you get nothing in return. Or you can go the route of, hey, I'm going to have a subscription service built into my app, or I'm going to sell my app for a fee, and Apple's going to get take a cut of that because they're providing the infrastructure and the ecosystem for, for me to leverage. So there's very much, I think, both sides. And I think it really depends on who the developer is and what kind of stake they have in the game that right. ultimately develops or ultimately determines what their perspective on it might look like. And it's also addressable market. So if somebody's going to release an app and that app without Apple may net them 50 grand, okay, that's 50 grand. Well, with the Apple ecosystem and how many Apple devices there are and the fact that it may go viral on the uh, App Store charts and everything, that could be a million dollars. Yeah, 30% less of a million dollars is a lot more than 50 grand. So it's one of those things where there's lots of developers out there that will gladly pay 30% to Apple because they're getting more than 30% growth out of being in the App Store and being on the iPhone than they would on any other platform. Um, so, I mean, it, it's just kind of mixed. It depends. There's a lot of people that are getting too big for their britches that say, I could do this without you. Well, fun fact, <laughs> you can't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, sorry about your luck. And it's just one of those things where is is 30% too steep? Maybe, probably. But, you know, like Darren said, it's all in the eye of the beholder and yeah, how you sure. see it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, if if they can demand it and the market will pay for it, then that means it's not too much. I think there's exactly also another right. there's so. another there's another aspect of that though that you kind of have to question too. You know, if Apple would open up, excuse me, if Apple would open up third party payments, you know, there's yeah. a certain level of com- convenience, obviously, to having that kind of in app purchase program. There's a certain level of convenience to having that mm-hmm. all be baked into the App Store experience. So think about it from the standpoint of if you start bringing in third party payment solutions. You know, are they going to be app specific? You know, how are they secured? Do you know this level of security behind them right. like you do with the app store? It opens up a That's whole another realm that we have to think about from a security and privacy perspective that may not, you know, necessarily be a concern when obviously we continue the status quo. This is this is one of my biggest complaints against the Android Play Store, or, or I, don't, I don't, and I don't even know how much they've changed it in the past while, but like. On iPhone, if you search for the Chase Banking app, you will get one app. It is the Chase Banking app. If back in the day on you know Android, maybe even today because they have open development and stuff, if you search for the Chase Banking app, you're going to get six different apps. One of them is by Chase. The rest of them are not. Um, so you know it, it. It's security. It's a lot of people complain that Apple is a closed ecosystem that they don't do this and that they don't let you customize and go crazy and. Yeah, they do that for a reason. It's for security. It's so that you can't 
screw something up because it needs to always work. I mean, is you sacrifice certain, you know, luxuries for convenience and for security, but you know, some people like it, some people don't. If you don't like it, then go somewhere else. Well, and Darren, you mentioned at the start of the show uh, there was a, a video that uh, MKBHD Marquez Brownlee posted yep. yesterday. Yesterday, yep. And I just looked up the title of it. It's called "Why iPhones Features Are Always Late." Is that the premise of what his 11-minute video is about? Is yeah, kind of I everything mean, y'all were just exactly. Saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. so I mean, really, at the end of the day, it's again they're not they're not necessarily the first to introduce these features. It's not necessarily that they're innovating something new all the time. Yep. What it is, is that they're late to the game because they want to wait to see how can we do this well? How can we do this right? And more importantly, you know, again, when you look at their entire platform ecosystem, you know, how how it's implemented, I think, matters more from a user experience perspective 100%. than being first, you know, into the game. And so that's that's, that's the approach jobs. that... I- yeah, absolutely. It's the approach that Apple's always taken is, you know, I mean, think about it from a smartphone perspective. There were hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of different smartphones out that were out there. Obviously, BlackBerry was the biggest in terms of, you know, market share that had physical keyboards. Apple was the one that said, hey, we're not going to do that because we're going to invent this thing called multi-touch or innovate with this thing called multi-touch and introduce it on a, you know, on a screen that you're holding in your hands. You know, none of us would have ever thought back when we had our Blackberries that we would ever want a touch screen. <laughs> But here yeah. we are now, and every device almost has a touchscreen. You know, so I, I think you know again, it's it's not necessarily being you know being first. It's it's the it's fact best. that we're going to wait until we can do it the best. Think think well, of how many, iPads, how many folding Apple phones do you have, and how many failure folding Android devices have we had so far? Uh, you know, Apple's not going to do something until they can do it right, which is why you haven't seen a folding Apple device iPad's calculator better be amazing then because we still don't have one. <laughs> we still don't have one. Yeah. I, crazy. I, you will never, ever, ever have that because Steve's not here to approve it. I don't think they will ever put a native calculator app in the iPad. Why? At this because point, it's just it an phone? homage to you can, Steve. You can he use, didn't want it? Uh, he didn't Did he like the no? way it looked, so he nixed it from the original iPad. Just because it was so big? I mean, I, I don't know the specifics. I just know that he didn't like the way it looked. It wasn't up to his specifications as far as, you know, aesthetics. So he said, no, get rid of it. Make it a make it a giant scientific calculator. Right. Yeah, there there <laughs> are some awesome calculator. calculator apps out there for it, but it's yeah. not I don't think it's ever going to be native. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it is it is funny. I mean, you know, there's there's ways around it. And obviously that that makes for a developer, you know, uh, gives right. a developer a good application to potentially develop for the iPad, but kind of a kind of a niche use case. But I agree. It was a joke. It was a joke. I liked it. <laughs> I, I found it in the comments of uh, of uh, MKBHD's video. So I don't even <laughs> want to take credit for it. I laughed when I saw it. So I had to share it. Here. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, well, that's basically time. Is there anything else that you have to squeeze in? That um, we didn't touch on. I mean, there's there's obviously some other things that happened this week. Uh, there was the Fastly outage yesterday. That was kind of wild. Mm. Oh and yeah, we moved outside of Cloudflare before they figured out it wasn't them. Yeah, <laughs> they they um the, the thing that made me laugh about that, or I shouldn't say laugh, but was kind of startling. Um, in that roughly 50 minute outage, it was from 5:49 a.m. to 6:39 a.m. yesterday morning. Um, in that roughly 50 minute outage. Uh, there was an estimated $29 million in ad revenue lost in that time frame because mm-hmm. of that outage. <laughs> so, um, wow. no, yeah. And it's the only other thing bad for them. that I stumbled across <laughs> this morning um, that I thought was kind of interesting and, and we can, we can send out a link for this one as well. Um, but Nat Geo has named from a cartography perspective, um, 
named a fifth, or I should say recognized a fifth ocean. So yeah, when, Wait, when you what? think about, yeah. Where so did they get it. <laughs> so uh, essentially <laughs> scientists, scientists, I guess, have, have recognized that there has been a fifth ocean for a long time. Um, on, they call it the Southern ocean is the world's fifth ocean. Um, I'm trying to get through some of this here to kind of provide yeah, you have the Atlantic, detail. the Pacific, the Indian, the Arctic. That's yes. what I grew up knowing. Correct. And then the, the basically scientists have defined, uh, the oceans for a long time by the, by the continents that fence them in, right. uh, the Southern ocean is de defined by a current. Uh, they estimate that the Antarctic circumpolar current, uh, was established roughly roughly 34 million years ago when the when Antarctica separated from South America, that allowed for impeded flow of water. Or, I'm sorry, unimpeded flow of water around the bottom of the Earth. It flows from west to east around Antarctica in a broad fluctuating band, roughly centered around the latitude of 60 degrees south. Um, but what's really unique about this, and and I read this further in the article, is the sheer amount of current or the amount of water that goes through this current. Mm -hmm. It actually surpasses all other oceans uh, on the planet, or all four other oceans on the planet. Um, so yeah. it's it's long been recognized by scientists, but now National Geographic is actually recognizing it as uh, from a cartography perspective, and it's now showing up on maps. Is that because there's no so continents? Cool. Like the the globe is spinning. It's like if you have a glass of water and you just kind of turn it, and it turns into a little tornado. Who knows? There's no there's no yeah, continents the, to stop the current from spinning around the globe. I don't know. That would make that geo article has a perfect picture in there that kind of you know shows the globe up on its south pole end where you're looking down at Antarctica, and it. I mean, you can perfectly see where that ocean is. And before I looked at this, I was like, you can't put you can't make a new ocean. That's crazy. But now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, you can. It's right there. <laughs> well, what about the other side? What about an Arctic Ocean? No. Did they talk about that? No, we're not doing that because because okay. of the way it is, it's just one giant circular ocean right surrounding Antarctica. OK. And then it's All wrapped right. by like the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean and stuff like that. Like, well, there that, you go. That, it makes a lot of sense. Good to know. Um, last bit of news, Tim. I know you're a big cruise guy. Cruises are coming back. I'm very, very excited about this. I am still not putting my money uh, into it yet until they actually start cruising again. But yes, uh, Carnival specifically, um, they have four ships that are coming into service. Two of them are coming in July uh, here in Texas, the Breeze and the Vista. Um, they wow. will okay, require so you really are a big, big cruise guy. Oh, <laughs> you dude, like my wife got all married the on the cruise. Like we can do a whole thing on this from a CDC perspective. Like we, that is our normal preferred, you know, travel method yeah. just cause it's, you get to see a lot of places and it's great. So yeah, we can talk about this at length at any time. That's awesome. That's funny. Yeah. I just saw, uh, the first ship to leave from a U.S. port departs on June 26th. That sounds about right. Looks like. Well, and they cool. are they are requiring the vaccine for the Texas ports mm. uh, for the for the two ships going out of Galveston. They are requiring the vaccine, except for five percent can be children under twelve that are not vaccinated. Interesting. Where they said none, but they're making a little exception due to the CDC slowly relaxing. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and that reminds I'm me. I'm excited too, the, about uh, this. The Buffalo Bills, I think, have stated that for all their home games this upcoming NFL season, they're going to require the vaccine as well. Yeah. That'll be interesting to follow as we move into the baseball fall. doesn't care. They're just like, ah, get in here. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure college football won't care either. No, but, oh, uh, for sure. Not 
that, that'll be interesting to see. And it'll be interesting to see how much of it is real and how much of it is just some sort of like black market piece of paper that you just flash in front of somebody. It's like, yeah, 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 I got one. Yeah, yeah. we're going to find out. Yeah, Maybe they need to encode to it into a health app. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, well, well, we'll end there. Wrap that up. Thank you guys for being on the show with me today. And uh, we'll catch you all next time. See ya. See you guys.